again. If you'll turn your Bibles with me to John chapter 7, we're going to read the second half of the chapter, verses 25 to 52, and, but, but this morning we're going to focus in on Jesus' famous words here in verses 37 through 39, so it's helpful to hear the context. And so let's listen to God's word. May uh, we not be left here, left the same as we hear him speak to us. This is God's word. To some of the people of Jerusalem, therefore, said about Jesus, is not this the man whom they seek to kill? And here he is speaking openly, and they say nothing to him. Can it be that the authorities really know that this is the Christ? But we know where this man comes from, and when the Christ appears, no one... So Jesus proclaimed as he taught in the temple, you know me and you know where I come from, but I have not come of my own accord. He who sent me is true and him you do not know. I know him for I come from him and he sent me. So they were seeking to arrest him, but no one laid a hand on him because his hour had not yet come. Yet many of the people believed in him. They said, when the Christ appears, will he do more signs than this man has done? The Pharisees heard the crowd muttering these things about him, and the chief priests and the Pharisees sent officers to arrest him. And Jesus then said, I will be with you a little longer, and then I am going to him who sent me. You will seek me, and you will not find me. Where I am, you cannot come. The Jews said to one another, Where does this man intend to go that we will not find him? Does he intend to go to the dispersion among the Greeks and teach the Greeks? What does he mean by saying, you will seek me and you will not find me, and where I am, you cannot come? On the last day of the feast, the great day, Jesus stood up and cried out, if anyone thirsts, let him come to me and drink. Whoever believes in me, as the scripture has said, out of his heart will flow rivers of living water. Now he, this he said about the spirit whom those who believed in him were about to receive, for as Yet the Spirit had not been given, because Jesus was not yet glorified. When they heard these words, some of the people said, This really is the prophet. Others said, This is the Christ. But some said, Is Christ to come from Galilee? Has not the scripture said that the Christ comes from the offspring of David and comes from Bethlehem, the village where David was? So there was a division among the people over him. Some of them wanted to arrest him, but no one laid hands on him. The officers then came to the chief priests and Pharisees and sa who said to them, Why did you not bring him? And the officers answered, No one ever spoke like this man. And the Pharisees answered them, Have you also been deceived? Have any of the authorities or the Pharisees believed in him? But this crowd does not know the law that this crowd that does not know the law is accursed. And Nicodemus, who had gone to him before, and who was one of them, said to them, does our law judge a man without first giving him a hearing and learning what he does? And they replied, are you from Galilee too? Search and see that no prophet arises from Galilee. And this is God's word. And his word is true and trustworthy, and he's spoken today to us today in love. Let's pray. Our Father and our God, we, we are our people who are thirsty. We, we long for you like people in a dry and weary land, like the psalmist says. 
our souls are restless until we find a rest in you. And so I pray that as we see Jesus this morning to come and drink, um, you would satisfy our hearts, you would give us more of the spirit that we would know what it is to have God with us, uh, giving us life that overflows and becomes a blessing across the street and around the world. So help us understand this gift of the Spirit, we pray this morning in Jesus' name. Amen. So one of the experiences I had in <coughs> in college was uh, traveling with a bunch of students in Tanzania and East Africa, and, and they did this crazy thing where they trusted a bunch of 21-year-olds to figure out African public transportation. <laughs> And so he's like, all right, when you're done, take this bus, get off of this stop, and you'll know where you're going to land. And one of the, the young ladies um, had the, made the unfortunate mistake of getting on the wrong bus and continually second and guessing herself to the point where she just rode it to the end of the line in the complete opposite direction. Um, and so she started walking home back in the opposite direction in Africa as a 20-something-year-old girl alone in the dark and she when we, we did find her right so i'm sure it's a good happy ending story but she she told us that while she was walking along she swore that she was being followed that there was a person there and she she was just super anxious so she found an abandoned house and was kind of hiding in there and and so you can just imagine right if you're trying to avoid something bad happening you want to sit still and be as quiet as possible but her fear just kind of overcame and she just yelled at the top of her lungs you know leave me alone defeats the purpose of hiding, but um, you, you kind of get that idea, right? If, if your life is in danger, you don't want to draw attention to it. And she did get home, by the way. She's, she's fine. Um, right? Jesus is in Jerusalem. We read that right in the beginning, right? The, the authorities want to kill him. Uh, he went to Jerusalem in secret. And he's in the temple in Jerusalem with lots of people, uh, in the kind of the, the center of power, so to speak. And instead of being quiet, not only is he teaching publicly, but here in our passage, and especially in verse 37, he just stands up and shouts. Right? You, you, it says cries. It's the language for screams. That, that he's, he's taking a risk. He's risking his life to shout, uh, come to me and drink. Right? And so what I want to do this morning is say, what is so important to Jesus, what is so important about his message that he wants us to hear in these words that he's willing to risk his life um, for us in the crowds to know, right? Because Jesus has been watching. This is in the Feast of Tabernacles. He's in Jerusalem. It's a seven-day feast remembering God's good deeds to Israel in the wilderness, um, how they lack nothing because God was with them, as Deuteronomy says. And so one of the main events, and we looked at it last week, that they're remembering is how God supernaturally provided water from a rock in Exodus 17, how that, that Israel was just mad at God, mad at Moses, just miserable in general, because they thought they were going to die of thirst. And the Lord, in response to their desire to kill Moses, um, and, and really holds God up on legal charges for failing as God, uh, he volunteers stand on the rock, to be struck by the rod of justice so that all of God's people could drink. And so this rock provided water for Israel in the desert, uh, and that's part of what Israel is remembering here in the Feast of Tabernacles. 
And the, one of the ways they remembered this moment, it was through a particular ritual that Jesus has been watching all week long. It was a ritual that helped them remember God's past, good deeds in the past, but also helped them get excited about what God was going to do in the future. And so what they would do is every day of this feast, the priest would leave the temple and go to the pool of Siloam. They would take a golden pitcher, fill it with water, and then leading the crowds like a, a massive excited parade or procession of people, they would go back to the temple and pour out the water in a basin in order to open it. And on the last day of the feast, right, this is like the last, this is what John calls the great day, the priest would make it more dramatic. He would walk around the altar seven times. And on the seventh time, he would take that pitcher of water and hold it high in the air. And the, the historians tell us that the crowd would get super excited. They'd be shouting for him to lift it higher and higher. And it's the whole crowd was waiting in anticipation for the priest to pour out water in the temple. Basically waiting with great anticipation that God would pour out his blessings for mankind. And so in the, the, the Jewish catechism, they would ask this important question. Why is the name of what the priests are doing with the pitcher called the drawing of water? And the answer is, it's because of the pouring out of the Holy Spirit, according to what is said, with joy you shall draw water out of the wells of salvation quoting Isaiah chapter 40. And that's the day that Jesus chooses to shout, come to me and drink, and you will have rivers of living water flowing from, coming to you from me and flowing from your heart. In other words, Jesus is saying, all of your hopes about the future, about God's blessing from on high, you get that through me. And he's, he's talking, he says, I am the one who's going to pour out the Holy Spirit. That's what you've been waiting for. Come to me. And so this morning, right, Jesus risked his life to shout to the crowds, to shout to the world, you need the Holy Spirit. You need me. And so let's meditate on what that means. Right? What does Jesus want every human being, every Christian to have? And in the invitation, first, the first point, right, it comes with an invitation. Jesus calls the crowds, right, anyone listening, come and drink. And so we would say, Jesus, what do, you, what do I need to live in this world? What do, I, what do you want me to get? And according to John, the living water is the spirit about all those who believe are going to receive. Right? So... Jesus, right, he's tapping into the Trinity, right? God, the, God is um, three persons, one God, God the Father, God the Son, and God the Spirit. Same in substance and essence. And basically what Jesus is shouting to the crowds is, come to me and I will give you God. Right? Come to me and you will have the life of God flowing in you and from you. God with us. If you were to ask, uh, what is Christianity about? And some people will say, well, it's a, it's a religion of love. We teach you how to be a loving person. Um, 
others will say it's about uh, Christianity. We, we need Christians to, to serve the poor, to help the marginalized and oppressed. And right, Isaiah 61, set the captives free, bring good news to the poor. But others would say, no, it's about eternal life, getting your soul saved, being forgiven. Or it's about if you come and be a Christian, you'll be a better person. You'll, you'll learn how to live rightly, to do good. And all those are true. Right? That's a part of the package. But at the heart of what Jesus is saying this morning, if what you need to be a Christian to even do any of these things is to have the Holy Spirit. To, to be a Christian is to have the Holy Spirit, and to have the Holy Spirit is to re- receive the gift of God. And all of those benefits. <laughs> right? And so that's Jesus' invitation for you this morning. Come and drink. Come and receive the gift of God's Spirit purchased for you by Christ on the cross. Okay? That come to Jesus and, and drink and believe, and that right now you can have an experience with God, his life-giving presence, his power, his love. That's what Paul says. The Holy Spirit pours God's love in our hearts. I like how Jonathan Edwards puts it. This is the kind of person you can be. He says, the person who has God's love in them has a wellspring of happiness that you can carry with with you everywhere you go. And there is a pleasant calmness and peace and brightness in you because you know of God's holy affection for you. You have God's spirit. Right? So how do you know God loves you? How do you experience God's love? You need the spirit. Right? And the way you get this life-changing love, life-changing presence of God, as Jesus says, you keep coming to me in faith. Come and drink, believe. What does that feel like? Well, Spurgeon says, says it like this. Charles Spurgeon, the, the famous Baptist pastor, he says, the love of God has been so overwhelmingly experienced by us on a few occasions that we almost had to ask God to stop the delight because we couldn't endure it any more. If God had not shielded his love and glory a bit, I think we would have died for joy. <laughs> you know, I, my friend Mick would always say, you know, it's like God, you're so aware of God's love and power and presence, it feels like if God doesn't stop, he's going to, He's going to explode in the car, and then someone has a message for you. <laughs> right? And if you have that love to follow the train of thought of Jesus, to have rivers of water flowing from you, you're not only going to be loved, you're going to be a blessing of love to the world. It's going to flow out from you. Right? That's what the Spirit does. Teaches you, gives you an experience of God's love and equips you to love. So just pause here and follow the train of thought. To be a Christian is to have God with you and his spirit. And to have the spirit, according to these images we've been meditating on, is, is to be filled with joy. All right, that's Isaiah 12. You will, with great joy, you will draw up from the wells of salvation. And so then my question becomes, um, convicting to me, right? if, if we have the Holy Spirit and we're supposed to be filled with joy, why are we so easily irritated? Why are we so grumpy? Why does the world think the church is full of grumpy, judgmental curmudgeons? Right? 
another way to put it is, why do we act like Israel, just miserable in the desert, convinced God isn't for us? When Jesus, claiming to be the source of living water, says, I will give you God himself. And the fruit of the Spirit's presence with you should be great joy. Joy in knowing God and all of his benefits. So, that's the question before you this morning. And one of the reasons I think is because I know I underestimate what it means to have the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit was active in the Old Testament. We, we know that. This is not something new that Jesus is making up. Uh, you can read about the Spirit taking some of the judges and like putting the judges on like clothes. Right? It says that the Spirit clothed Gideon. I mean, that's what for a week scared Gideon, got his strength from. But notice it was on the outside of Gideon, not on the inside of Gideon. Uh, David, after he sins, will pray, uh, forgive me, Lord, don't take your Holy Spirit from me. So I think part of what Jesus is, is getting at here is for his invitation is to come and receive God's spirit and, and experience God in a way that the Old Testament saints longed for and couldn't even imagine. Rivers of living water inside, not this power just using you temporarily. <laughs> I mean, Peter will describe Christians this way. By the Spirit, he says, by faith in Jesus, you have been made partakers of the divine nature. In 2 Peter chapter 1. And whatever that means, it means you now have God's stuff, right? His life a part of you. You've been brought in to this relationship with God the Father, God the Son, God the Spirit, to the point where it's making you something completely new, a new creation, a new kind of human. So that means if I'm grumpy and really mad at life about something, if I'm acting ridiculous like Israel in the desert, I must not be drinking as a gift. And to not drink of living water when you're filled with the spirit as a Christian, that's as rational as, as a person who's dying of thirst right next to an oasis, wondering why God isn't providing so this morning, the, I want to invite you and invite us to take your thirst and, and come and receive the gift of God the Spirit by coming to Jesus the Son and see what he does. Have that experience. And how do you get that gift? How do you, how do you qualify for that gift? And that's the second point here is all it takes to receive the gift is to be thirsty. To be continually thirsty, right? The, the tense of the verb is to keep coming, to keep drinking, to keep believing, to keep coming. It's present, active. It's not just a one-time deal. Right? Be thirsty. Uh, you heard a commercial about that? Stay thirsty, my friend. It's more about alcohol. But, right? There's a lot of ways to, to, to think about this. Just the way the Bible talks about thirst. One, thirsty people are unsatisfied with this life. That's what the alcohol commercial is getting to. If you have this, then your life will be fantastic. And the reality is, if you understand what the Bible is saying about life, it's deeply disappointed. Because life, the flower fades. The grass withers. And only the word of God endures forever. Right? 
thirsty people are also exhausted because thirsty people have tried really, really hard to find satisfaction in this world. That's what we learned in chapter 4 with the the Samaritan woman at the well who's run through uh, husband after husband. Whether she's a victim of their decisions or we don't know all the circumstances, all we know is she is exhausted now living with a man who's not her husband and romance is not satisfying. And so Jesus offers her living water. But thirsty people, anyone who's found this world to be dissatisfying, they're exhausted. Because you, you can't not try to find joy in this world. And because we're dissatisfied and exhausted, that means we're also complaining. Right? Thirsty people are grumbling. Listen to what people complain about. I mean, listen to yourself when you complain. What are you hoping for? What do you want? What do you expect? And part of what you're confessing is your spiritual thirst, whether you use those words or not. You're you're craving more of the Holy Spirit, living water. So if you were to use Israel in the desert from Exodus 17 to help diagnose our grumbling or to describe our grumbling, this is what it sounds like. God, you're not providing for me. You're not giving me what I want when I want it. I want something, and if God doesn't give it to me now, I'm going to question that God is good. That's grumbling. Uh, Israel's questioning God's protection because they're in the desert, and they're generally worried about uh, dehydrating and dying in in, in the dust. And we live in a world where Life is full of sadness. Those are moments when we we grumble. God, are you really going to keep me safe? Are you really going to keep the ones I love safe? And of course, Israel's uh, doubt and 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 grumbling culminates with them saying, "Well, I don't know if the Lord is among us or not." They question God's presence. Uh, Life stinks. It's not going to my plan. Therefore, God clearly isn't here. And so they grumble. And that's what being thirsty sounds and feels like. A grumble. And a grumble, according to C.S. Lewis, uh, that's, that's just the seed of hell. And hell begins with a complaint. A complaint against God. A complaint that is never interrupted. Right? So when you get to the afterlife, there's, there's going to be complaining. reason we get there is because that's the diagnosis of the Old Testament, that all human beings are thirsty, and the fo- God is the fountain of living water, and trying to get satisfaction, trying to get life from this dying world is exhausting. It's disappointing. How can you not grumble? Right? So this morning, that's the, the second question, what are you complaining about? It's a sign of your thirst, and, and thirst is the qualification, according to Jesus, to come and drink, right? to receive the gift. And it doesn't say come and be, you, you get the spirit if you're perfectly pious, or if you pray the right prayers, or to be better than everyone else, or to be super religious. No, it's, it's a qualification for every human being to be thirsty. 
So why would you want to come and drink? Why would you take Jesus up on his invitation? And, and it, you start to get ideas and you start to fill in all of the Old Testament background that's, that's kind of lingering in, in Jesus' words because when you get to Revelation 22, as it portrays heaven, it describes heaven as a place where there's a river flowing from the throne of God and the blood of the Lamb, blood of Jesus. And Ezekiel 47 shows that same river that starts from God's throne, right? So the water comes from God. It starts as a trickle, and it just slowly expands into this massive raging river that's giving life, turning, turning death into life wherever it goes. Right? Even as the power to turn salt water into fresh water. And the, and the leaves, according to Revelation, are for the, the, the healing. The leaves of the tree growing next to it are for the healing of the nations. All kinds of poetic imagery. But the, the picture is life that flows from God and the Lamb, Jesus, is going to see God's face and be satisfied. His name's going to be written on your, on your forehead, on, your serv- on his servant's forehead, which will, uh, you'll know who you are and who you belong to. No more identity crises. And the leaves of the trees growing around this river of life that are for the nations, right? It's going to heal the nations. So it's this idea of you are disappointed and complaining about broken human relationships. And here's the good news. Come and drink. This water is for the healing of the nations. The nations were always raging against God and all his other nations. If you're angry at death, Jesus says, come and drink anew. Come and drink of the water of life without price. And if you're living life as the captain of your fate and find yourself ashamed of all the questionable decisions you've made, trying to find satisfaction, it doesn't disqualify you from the river. If you're thirsty, come and drink. The qualification to come is not, it's not complicated. It's just having need. And so any moment you have need, you are thirsty, are you going to come and to Jesus and believe? Right? So, point two, look at your grumbling. Look at your complaining. That's a sign that you're thirsty. And thirst is the qualification to receive the gift of the Spirit. And last point here, we have to learn to use this gift continually, right? which is grace every day. On the one hand, I, I always grew up thinking, like, okay, I got the Spirit, now I'm good. Right? I, just like Jesus, right? I, I, I got my divine fire insurance, I trusted Jesus, my sins are forgiven. Now I just got to try really, really hard to be a good person. That's not what Jesus is describing here. You need to learn to drink continually from the gift of the Spirit. Because that's Jesus' command. Come and drink. And so... How do you get the Spirit? And that's where John goes. He says, the living water is about the Spirit. Those whom, it's for those who believe in him that are going, that's what they're going to receive. But the Spirit has not yet been given because Jesus has not yet risen. And so part of what John is saying, he's, he's given a preview of the future. It's the Holy Spirit has not been given yet by Jesus in this text. Until after Jesus is glorified, which is, in John, that's code for after he is lifted up on the cross. 
So the way to get the spirit is to omit your thirst, and to omit your thirst kind of involves saying, I'm alone, I'm grumbling. My grumbling isn't just my life stinks. Uh, it's not a lament. My grumbling is, God, you stink at your job, and I don't trust you. That's the heart of a thirsty person. And so you got to come to Jesus giving of the gift of God is the act of King Jesus in the midst of the thirsty people as he's dying their thirst. Right? And so, you want to take that image of the rock of the salvation being struck that we meditated on last week, being struck for our transgressions. Jesus has to be struck for our transgressions so that he can pour out our spirit, his spirit on us. take that literally. When does the river of God's blessing, the river of the Spirit, begin to flow? Right? When water begins to flow on Jesus' side is flow, side is flowing. Because blood and water flow on the ground. His life's poured out. And he's thirsty. And so what can we learn? And you see it starts to grow because when Jesus is raised from the dead, he then, what is his mission when he goes to find his disciples? In John, he has to breathe the spirit on them. He says, go, I am sending you as I have been sent. And then the Pentecost happens as the spirit is poured out from on high as Jesus does what he said he was going to do. As the glorified king, he sends his spirit, starts to fill these human beings, the church, and this river of life just starts to with the Spirit. So, this morning, the cure for our grumbling hearts is to draw from the wells of salvation and full joy, which is to come to Jesus and receive the Spirit. It's to bring our ungrateful hearts to ask for more of the Spirit to help us. The second, do you, do you see who Jesus is claiming to be? Jesus is claiming to be the Lord of the Old Testament who's who's doing exactly as what the Lord promised to do, which is pour out his spirit on his people. So Isaiah 44 talks about it, where the Lord says, I will pour out water on the thirsty land and streams on the dry ground. And then he connects that thought to say, I will pour, I will pour out my spirit on your offspring and my de- blessing on your descendants. Jesus is saying, that's me. Come to me and drink. Rivers of living water will flow forth. Jesus, the Lord, sending the Spirit. It's another portrait, like John says, that the the Word of God became human and dwelt among us. Now, 
So what does that mean for us right now? This is how this, this goes. I kind of learned to, to drink from this gift every day is what it's saying. That to, to believe is in present tense, in active tense. And so right now, if you're a Christian, you have God's spirit. You have rivers of living water flowing from you. You have your thirst. And so if you're going to take Jesus' word seriously, it means every moment you have need, pray. being patient right now. I'm really grumpy. Lord, help me. I need your spirit to fill my heart. Lord, I'm feeling really lonely. I'm full of self-pity. Pour out your love into my heart. I need your spirit. And Jesus tells us, y'all love to give good gifts to your kids. If your kid asks for bread, you're not going to give him a snake or a scorpion. How much more does your father love to give the gift of his son? And as you do that, this is the kind of human you'll be. Living water flows in you, transforms you, and sends you out. You're going to be a river, a blessing, a conduit to the sea. Because the only other option, which is what Christians are tempted to do, is rather than being uh, rivers, we tend to be stagnant pools. Nobody wants to drink in a, a stagnant pool unless you have a life support, and even then you're kind of rolling the dice, <laughs> right? That's what John Bunyan calls. Churches are either going to uh, go into the world and be a blessing filled with the Spirit, or they're going to live in a holy huddle, living under the rule of the stagnant pool. In other words, if Jesus has quenched your thirst, you're going to talk about it to others your thirst, how Jesus has changed you. It's just a natural part of being a Christian. And so the blessing of God is God, and you want others to receive God. And out of that faith, then will also flow deeds of love. Right? Literal giving water to the poor. That's what one of our um, teaching elders says in, in one of their pastors in, in our presbytery. He has a whole organization called uh, Waters of Life. It's a good example of one of his basically digging clean water wells in India and partnering local churches so they can both give people the, people the gospel, the good news of Jesus, and just help them live in Jesus they love. Right? And so you could, you could say Jesus' portrait here is that a spirit-filled church will be satisfied with God and then willing to pour themselves out be the description of you in your life right now. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for your grace that forgives us, forgives our grumbling. We thank you for your goodness that overflows and gives us yourself and your spirit and your new heart. We pray you would equip equip your your church here, Lord, uh, that we would be we would be a conduit of your blessing, that you have blessed us to be a blessing, and as we have your spirit, we would, we would not hoard it for ourselves, but we would, with hearts overflowing with gratitude, um, just leave here ready and willing from now on to give to you. Uh, we pray these things in Christ's name. Amen.